Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be back with you here at the West Campus. Good to see you guys. In case you've forgotten, if you haven't seen me in a while, my name's Trevor. I am also one of the pastors here at Community of Hope. It's good to be here with you. Yep. And I want to give a warm welcome to everybody who's streaming with us online. It's great to be back here in person. But like we've said before, man, if you are worshiping online or you're not ready to come back yet, that's totally fine. We're just trying to create options for everybody. We're glad you've joined us for worship here this morning as well. We had a great start last week on, uh, was it that the 27th when we reopened? We had a great start at the East Campus. That's where I was at. We had way more people show up than who registered, which is always a great problem to have. And uh, Pastor Dia had a great kickoff here last week at the West Campus. He is over there on South Military Trail at our other campus there this morning, preaching to them, saying good morning and welcome back to everybody there as well today. Hey, so listen, before we jump into our service for today, I have two quick things for everybody. First off, we are going to be celebrating communion today. So if you were here in person, you got the, that little packet there. Great. Uh, so here's what I want to tell everybody who's here uh, in person, that little cup of juice and a little wafer thing that's not a mid-sermon snack, okay? (laughs) Hold on to that. That's how we're trying to do communion in the most sanitary way possible. If you're streaming with us online, we're going to try something different and new today. Go ahead. If you don't have them prepared yet, go ahead and get some juice and get some bread to be prepared to celebrate communion with us here in person. The Holy Spirit knows no time or distance, and we're going to celebrate the Lord's table together. Amen? Amen. We're going to do that. Also, for those of you who are here at the West Campus and here in person online, you won't know any difference. But if you are here at the West Campus, starting next week, we're going to be switching back to our regular service times on Sunday morning of 9, 10, 30, and 12, starting next week, okay? So make sure that you put that in your head. You guys don't care. You'll be here at 9 o'clock. No big deals for everybody else later on. We're going to have Kids of Hope only at 9 and 10, 30. We don't have the volunteer teams ready yet to go back for Kids of Hope at noon. But uh, make sure you do that. And we ask, uh, we're not going to be doing registration after next week except for kids. So we really need your help with that. So be looking for all that and all the ways that you get your news from Community of Hope. So with that, let's jump into today. Now, for a lot of you who were seeing each other in person, we've made phone calls, we've had emails, we've had texts, some of us have had Zoom. Some of you saw me and my wife embarrass ourselves over Zoom with the married night that we did a couple weeks ago. If you were there, you know. Um, and so, uh, you know, it takes a little bit to kind of catch up with each other. Life goes on in the midst of the pandemic. It's not like everything has paused over the past six months. So I want to give you a little bit of life update about me and my family. Uh, so my little baby, Susanna, is now one years old, and she's walking talking everywhere, and she's like this close to talking. She's not going to say her first word. She's going to say her first sentence. She's one of those kids. Uh, My little girl, Tessa, she is in kindergarten now. Isn't that crazy? We just like, I know, right? She was born yesterday. How dare she start growing up like that? And then uh, my boy, Cade, is now, uh, he's eight years old, and he had a big week this past week. Uh, You guys know if you've been hanging out at Community Folk for any period of time. Cade has been doing karate and this past week got his green belt in karate. So yeah, so here's a picture of Cade with his green belt there. 
Yep, there he is looking like a stud with his sensei, and he broke his first board, so that's a pretty cool thing. Now, because Cade is, uh, he's a green belt, now he is at the level in karate where he's going to be able to begin sparring and to, to put on, you know, hand gear and foot gear, you know, to lay the smack down. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be cool. Now, and because I used to do martial arts, like, you know, I'm not good at any sports. The only thing I can catch is a cold, you know, so I'm, I'm I just like... I'm not great, but the only thing I was ever good at was martial arts. Like, don't catch the ball, hit the person. I can hit the person. And so I have uh, my old martial arts gear, and I thought, you know what? If he needs some sparring gear, what if I let him try on my gear? Now, now before I show you a picture of what this looks like, don't, yeah, good, don't show you. Before, uh, before I tell you about this, now, my gear, it's not like it's just a couple of years old. Like, I got it not that long ago. It's only 1998, 1999. You know, it's only like 20 years old, and it's probably a little bit too big for him. But I thought, you know, what the heck? What if we just tried to save a little bit of money and let him try on the sparring gear, see if he liked it? So this is what he looked like when we tried on all my stuff. So, man, he looks deadly right there, doesn't he? Watch out, world. You know, after he was trying on my gear, it's obviously too big and old and all sorts of stuff. He looked at me and said, Dad, this gear reminds me of you. It's old, beat up, and it smells bad. <laughs> oh, I know. How dare he? How dare he? So here's what we're going to be talking about today. What we're going to be looking at is a story from the Bible about putting on someone else's gear for combat and how that doesn't work. We're going to talk about that in here in just a second. So last week, Pastor Dale kicked off a great series for us here at the West Campus and online. We called Come Alive. Everyone say that with me come alive. Great. And what we're talking about in this series is about going a little bit deeper with transformation with our lives and with ourselves. We're not talking about transforming just the parts that people can see, but allowing the grace of God and the love of Jesus to go deep within ourselves and transform the deepest parts of who you are in your personhood. It's not surface level change. We're trying to get to real transformation where only God's eyes can see. And when we learn to do that, to let the transforming grace of God touch every part of our hearts and our lives, and not just a a couple parts of our lives, we come alive. So our theme verse we're talking about is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. We're going to go ahead and put it on the screen. And we're going to be memorizing this as a church over the next several weeks. You can put it on the background of your smartphone. You do all sorts of stuff. So here's our memory verse, Ephesians 14, part B. It's the second half of the verse. Now, instead of just reading it out loud all together, I want to try something here this morning. Uh, Pastor Dale and I are part of a movement called the New Room Movement. And whenever that movement gathers with a couple thousand pastors from all over America and all over the world for a spiritual renewal. We say this verse at the beginning of our gatherings. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead. And everybody here and everybody online will enthusiastically say back to me and Christ will shine on you. Are you ready? Here we go. All right. Wake up sleeper and rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Very good. So we're going to be practicing that a little bit throughout the series. Wake up sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. So here's where we were last week. As pastors across all of our campuses, at our West Campus, at our East Campus, online at CUH Espanol, we shared our two 
core values throughout this whole series, our beginning understandings, our bedrock truths that we believe that are irreducible minimums at this point. Core belief number one, if you're taking notes, you go ahead and do it in your phone, open up the COH app, it's all there, is this. Core belief number one, we believe that you will never be all you're created to be outside of a relationship with God. Let me say that again. We believe that you will never become who you were created to be outside of a relationship with God. We live in a culture that is obsessed with wellness and health, physical, emotional, mental, uh, and even spiritual wellness. There's a million self-help books. People are really interested in being the best version of themselves and to you know, live your best life and all sorts of stuff. So we are totally obsessed. I get uh, ads all the time on my phone for different wellness apps, physical wellness apps, mental wellness apps, diet wellness, everything. We're obsessed with this. And the truth of it is that it's easy to neglect the spiritual side of that, especially for people who might be new to church, maybe new to the religion thing, new to the Jesus thing. What we want you to know is that you will never become who you were created to be outside of a relationship with God because God is the one who made you and has an imprint of his nature on your heart. You're never going to become the person you dream to be, who you feel like you're supposed to be outside of a walk with God. Now, here's the core value number two that's fundamental understanding of really what we're trying to get at in this series is that not only is it about connecting a relationship with God, but it's this here, that your emotional well-being and your relationship with God are absolutely and completely interconnected. See, some people who are not used to doing the church thing or the faith thing and they're warming up to that, uh, engaging spiritually with Jesus is a new thing. For those of us who may have been following Jesus for a long time, there are many, many of us who keep Jesus in the spiritual realm of our lives, but don't let him touch any other area of our lives. Jesus stays at church, and it's about spiritual stuff. Don't talk about my feelings. Those don't exist. Your emotional well-being and your relationship with God are absolutely interconnected. And when you learn to let those two things grow together, it makes your soul sing and causes you to come alive. I listened to what Pastor Dale said last week, and he just kind of made it real simple for all of us. I need that from time to time. And he just took all the complicated nature out of all of it. And he said it like this. So basically, let's say before you become a follower of Jesus, you're a jerk. And then you get saved. And then what are you afterward? You're a saved jerk. <laughs> oh, and that just makes sense for so many of us. Like, yeah, I've met a lot of people like that. Right. Don't be a saved jerk. What we're trying to talk about in the series is how to let what Jesus does for your soul spill out into every other part of your lives, especially your emotional well-being and to become an emotionally healthy, spiritual person. That's what we're talking about. This is important. So last week, if you weren't here with us, just a quick recap. We talked about the story of Jesus being tempted in the desert by the devil and how he faced three temptations all of us will face in our lives. You might be saying to me, well, Trevor, I've never been tempted to turn stone into bread. I'm not a walking Panera like Jesus. I know. But there's a deeper thing that you can relate to with him. It's the three temptations we talked about here. We face the temptation uh, to believe that I am what I do that your identity is based on your performance or the temptation that I am what I have, that your identity is based on what you have 
Or the temptation of I am what others think, that you form your identity based off of the opinions and popularity of other people. Especially, this is more true now than ever with social media, and it's making our culture and our young people sick. And what do we learn instead? We learned that your identity, the way to start beginning the journey of coming alive and to know who you really are, is to find your identity in whose you are. And that because of Jesus, you could become a child of God and a person of worth. Amen? Amen. That's where this all starts, is having a true identity. Now, where we're going today with this series, we want to take our next step in this development. If last week we talked to all of you about how to know who you are, today we're going to take a next click and talk about how to become who you really are. So our passage for today uh, comes from the Old Testament. Let me digress. Before I go into it, we're going to talk about how to become who we are meant to be. There's two things I want you to know. First off, here's a core value for our church. We have eight of them. Here's core value number six for community folk. In Christ, we are free to become ourselves. This is what we're talking about. How to become the real you to become your true self, that in here, in this place, we want you to be the real you, that no one grows spiritually or no one grows emotionally by faking it. Amen? Amen. This is a place where we learn to be our real selves, and when you are your real self with others and with God, deep transformation can happen. Soren Kierkegaard, a Danish philosopher and theologian, said this, and now with God's help, I shall become myself. That's what we're talking about today. So back to the scriptures. Here's where we're at. We're going to be looking at the Old Testament story from 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now, this is one of the most famous stories in all of the Bible. So if you're new to the scriptures, you've heard pieces of this story before for sure. It's a story. It's an excerpt from the story of David and Goliath, one of my all-time favorite stories in the Bible. Now, there's two pieces of this story that I want you to be looking at. There are messy pieces to this story, and there are glorious pieces to this story, much like our lives. So we're going to start in verse 32 through 40, this little excerpt of this famous story. Here we go. It says this. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. That's Goliath. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, and I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put on a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried to walk around because he was not used to them. I, I can't go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. 
Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream and put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. This is the word of God for us this morning. So the title of today's message we're calling You Do You. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are here with us. Your presence is here. And where two or more are gathered in your name, you are there as well. So we welcome you, Lord Jesus. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you be gracious to us today and not just have us read the scriptures, but would you cause your scriptures to read us and me included? Come Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Okay, so let's talk just for a few moments about this passage and what we're looking at. This is right smack dab and perhaps one of the top three most famous passages in the Bible, like I said, of David and Goliath. This is my personal, one of my favorite stories in all of scripture. Outside of Jesus, David is my favorite character from the Bible. Um, I love his heart for God. I love the stories of David. I love it all. I think it's also partially true because when I was growing up and the church I, I went to, my family found faith. You guys have heard me talk about it a million times. Uh, they gave me a kid's Bible, much like we do whenever uh, kids go uh, through a different milestone here at our church. And uh, let me tell you, I don't think they make Bibles this way anymore because in my children's Bible. Here's the story of David and Goliath. Here's the picture from it. Look at that. That's right. That's blood spewing out of the head of Goliath. How about that? And uh, it's just such an awesome illustration. Let me tell you, when you're a little boy and you open up the Bible, which I had experiences with the Bible and with God that was boring and lame. And I've told you a million times, I don't understand why Jesus is always hugging pictures of lambs around church. And then when I open up this Bible and I see David killing Goliath, I'm like, yes, this is good after all. So here's a little bit of the story of what we're talking about here. Um, David uh, is the eighth of eight boys. He's the youngest in his whole family. And there is a battle going on. It's been raging on for 40 days between the Philistines and between the Israelites. And it's at a total standstill. Now, David has not come to fight. He's not some warrior. His dad, Jesse, has sent David with snacks for his brothers. That's right. David is an ancient Israelite DoorDash for his family. He has come to bring food for his brothers. He's come to help them out all by chance. By chance, his dad said, go bring your brother's food and make sure they're still alive. And by chance, David brings the food, goes and finds his brothers on the front line. And by chance, David happens to overhear this giant, Goliath, nine feet tall, taunting the armies of Israel and challenging them and defying and blaspheming the God of Israel. Now, instead of them fighting between the two armies, what would happen sometimes in the ancient world is they would send out a champion, not a sports champion, a real champion in a classical sense, was one man who would identify and who would represent your entire army. And they would have one-on-one combat to the death to determine who would win this war. And out comes the Philistine champion, Goliath, to challenge any Israelite John Cena to a fight. And everyone is too chicken to show up. 40 days of Goliath coming out saying, who wants to fight me? 
You all are chicken and you're scared and your God is a fraud. And on the 40th day, David is delivering subs to his brothers and he overhears this giant slandering the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he says, not on my watch. And David begins to get an idea in his head of like, there's no way we're going to let this guy talk about God this way. On top of that, he begins to overhear amongst the troops, if anybody goes out and wants to fight Goliath, and if they win, the king will give the winner, the champion of Israel, he'll give him his daughter in marriage, and his family won't have to pay taxes. Say, what? (laughs) And so David has a whole lot of incentive. It starts with righteousness, and then it ends with him getting a sweetie and having a tax-exempt status at the end of it. So he says, I'll fight this guy. And then we come into our story where somehow he ends up in front of the king of Israel by chance, by chance, by chance. And we hit our story. Now, remember what I told you at the beginning of reading this, that there are messy parts of this story and there are glorious parts of this story. So what's messy? What's messy about this story? Well, the messy pieces about this story is that David faced a couple temptations Just like last week, how Jesus faced temptations that you will face, David faced a few temptations that every single one of us will face our entire lives. And it's crucial if you want to become who you were created to be, to learn to navigate these temptations and to turn from them and to walk in God's ways. So what's messy? Here's the first messy piece of this. It's a temptation. And it's this here. It's the temptation to live into someone else's armor. The first temptation of becoming yourself is the temptation to live into someone else's armor. So you'll be tempted to be who others think you should be. You're going to be tempted to be who others think you should be. Earlier in the story, in the parts we didn't read, if you rewind about 10 other verses, David gets to the battle lines. And again, he says, we're not going to let this giant mouth off to God. David's oldest brother looks at him, puts him down, says, who are you? You're just a shepherd boy. You're just the delivery kid. You're my punk little brother. Get out of here. You're just being arrogant and selfish. And David could have, in just that moment, said, he's right. And he could have withered and ran home. And what we did read, Saul brings the armor to David. Saul says, here, why don't you put on my armor? Forget the fact that Saul should have been wearing it himself to face Goliath, but he wasn't willing to trust God. He said, here, kid, David, you put it on. Look like me, look like the king, which by the way, if David had worn Saul's armor and he looked like Saul went out and killed Goliath, don't you think Saul might've taken credit for it? But he was tempted to put on Saul's armor and be who his brother thought he should be, be who maybe his dad thought he should be, be who Saul thought he should be. And you and I are tempted to be who other people say you should be all the time. Now, there's a difference, friends, between a healthy 
prudence and a healthy listening to wise counsel and listening to mentors and listening to godly authority in our lives and maybe in godly relationships that we have around us. It's not like we don't listen to anybody. There's a difference between healthy listening to our community and a difference between unhealthy people pleasing. And people pleasing is toxic to the human soul. Psychologists call this codependency. If you're unfamiliar with codependency, here's what one of the leading authors on this talks about. Her name is Melody Beetle. It's not on the screen. I just want you to listen to this. This is a a super unhealthy people pleasing that begins to unravel your own life. If you give into this temptation and Melody Beetle wrote this, she said a codependent person is one who has let another person's behavior affect him or her and who is obsessed with controlling that person's behavior. Let's say somebody's disapproval of you or somebody else who's saying that you should be a certain way that you've let that affect you. You've let it go under your skin. You've let it get into your heart. And because it bothers you what they say or what they don't say, what they approve of, what they do approve of, you're willing to change your behavior to control them to get the approval and the acceptance that you want. I think by my behavior, I can control another person. And that doesn't really work, does it? It doesn't. Um, Henry Cloud gave a really great illustration for this. Uh, in one of his books. Henry Cloud is a renowned psychologist. He's a wonderful Christian author. And uh, he said this, that think about the next time you feel pressured to please somebody or to please a group of people rather than trying to please God. And he said, picture yourself. So you don't have to close your eyes, but I want you to work with me now and picture yourself at your life review, like at the end of the road, with your life review with God and having the following conversation with God. Okay, so we're about to have a conversation with God. Now I'm going to pick on somebody in the room just to have a fill in the blank for a name. I'm going to pick on my friend, Zach. Everyone say, hi, Zach. Zach is a good dude. Zach is not a jerk, but we're going to pretend for a minute that he is, okay? All right, great. Yeah, love you. Mm -hmm. All right. So imagine that God is looking at me, and I'm having an end-of-life review with God, or you're having an end-of-life review with God. And God begins the conversation by saying something like this. So why didn't you take the opportunity that I offered to you? And imagine we would say back to God, wow, God, I mean, I really wanted to, and I knew it was your, your will for my life, but you know how upset Zach would have gotten if I did. It would have been awful. And God would say back to us, you're right. Zach would have totally gone through the roof, and he would have been upset with you. And I have a meeting with Zach later, in exactly three years, two months, six days, seven hours, not really, dude, just chill out, Okay. But I've been meeting with such and such person. And exactly three years, two months, six days, seven hours, and 33 minutes. At that time, I'll be talking to that person about his or her tendency to get mad at people when they did not please him or her. And I will take care of that issue. But that is their life, not yours. You are responsible for your choices. You are responsible for your own decisions. And they are responsible for how he or she responded to you. That will be his or her problem. But the fact that you chose to give in to him or her is your problem. And now I want to show you with a TV here. I want to show you the life that you gave up by living the life that other people wanted. Watch that screen over there. Click. And then you see what could have been if you had only tried to live your life to please God 
and not somebody else. Pretty compelling, right? See, psychologists call this codependency. The Bible calls it fear of man, and it needs to be resisted and repented of. So we live into this temptation. We have to fight this temptation. The temptation to wear someone else's armor and to be who someone else says you should be. It's messy in this passage. Here's another piece that's messy in this passage. Not only does David, he, wears the te- he has the temptation to wear someone else's armor. Get this. There's the temptation to wear your own armor. I didn't misspeak. You probably thought, well, that's the point of the message, to be you, to you do you. Wear your own armor. And that's actually not it at all. Some people, in response to others' pressure to be something that they are not, end up rejecting all good things and all boundaries and all wisdom speaking into their life all together and go into flat-out rebellion if they're over here and somebody's trying to make them be something that they are not, instead of going to the healthy middle, they go on the complete other side. It's like the Pac-Man effect. If you are on the extreme on one end, you can blip off the screen and end up on the extreme on the other end. And it's the temptation of, well, then, then you just go be whatever you think is right. And it's a dangerous overcorrection. Uh, when I was 15, I was in high school, and my sophomore year at Eastlake High School in uh, Tarpon Springs, Florida, kind of Oldsmar, Palm Harbor, Tarpon Springs, Clearwater. It's great. Go Tampa Bay. Go Tom Brady. Great. So um, when I was in high school growing up, I took driver's ed. Anybody else take driver's ed in high school? Yeah. And so, you know, it's where, uh, you know, you're in class. If you, if you pass the class, you get a little bit of credit that's a little bit lesser on your car insurance. You can go get your license with less of a hassle, all that stuff. Well, um, And my class was, my driver's ed class was taught by two grizzled, crotchety, old track and field coaches who were just mean cusses. And um, and about when once in the semester, they uh, one of the assignments was they would take you out in the student driver car along with two other students. You go out in the open road for a test to see how you did. And when it became my turn, I was super, super nervous to going out because it was me, grizzled, mean coach, and two girls from my class. And I didn't want to look like a goober, okay? And so it became my turn to drive, and we're going down US 19, and I am like sweating profusely, like way more than normal if you know me already. And I'm just like white knuckling the steering wheel and trying not to look like an idiot and trying not to have my coach yell at me and trying not to look stupid in front of these girls. I'm like, okay, 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 I got this, I got this, I got this, I got this. And then I started to veer into another lane. I started to hear this sound. I was just going over the reflector. And the coach in the car told me, Johnston, yes, coach, do you hear that sound? Yes. Do you know what it means? Well, it means you're an idiot. Get in your lane. And so, yeah, day ruined. My wife says that to me all the time. If I'm ever driving around, I did it, did it. Johnston, you're an idiot. So we talk about it all the time. Now, in driver's ed, they teach you. In those moments, if you hear or if something happens in front of you, the worst thing you can do is overreact and go the other way. To avoid one accident, you end up causing another, right? It is the same way with this. 
Sometimes in learning to reject what someone else is putting on you that's not who you really are, you end up overcorrecting and going on into the ditch on the other side of the road when you're trying to avoid that ditch in the first place. This is where sometimes in our culture, people say, hey, you do you. Go ahead, just you do you. But the truth is, if I do me, I will destroy my life. And the life of people around me, I can do me to my own peril. I can put on the armor I think should be on there, regardless of what anybody else says. But then that could end up suffocating me and causing more pain, more hurt, and more trauma. When our culture says, hey, forget what everyone else says, you do you. When culture says you do you, the Bible sometimes calls that rebellion. And it needs to be repented of. And resisted to say no. So we have these messy pieces. We're tempted, and David was tempted, to wear someone else's armor. He was tempted to wear his own armor. He didn't have armor, but David could have said, you know what? You want me to wear your armor? Forget it. I'm out of here. I'm not going to fight this guy. And again, he would have missed becoming the champion of Israel and the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus of Nazareth. If he just said, forget it, I'm going to do me. Messy pieces. But what's the glorious piece of this passage of scripture? What's the glorious thing that we can see and the truth that we can learn to apply to our lives, to learn how to become the real version of ourselves, to grow with emotional health and to grow our relationship with God? What's the glorious piece of this? It's here. It's not only just resisting those temptations, but learning to find the freedom to live into God's armor for me. God's armor for me, not who I think I should be, not what other people think they should be, who my heavenly father thinks I should be. Now you might read that point and go, Trevor, David, I know that story. David didn't wear any armor. He got his slingshot and he got five stones, right? And you know why he got five stones? He had one for Goliath and four in case he had brothers. That's just me guessing. That's not actually in the scripture. Okay. But he wasn't actually wearing any armor. He was. It's just invisible. In the chapter right before, chapter 17 and chapter 16, the prophet Samuel has come to the town of Bethlehem, gone to Jesse's house and says, the Lord has sent me. One of your sons will be king of Israel. And Jesse brings out all of his first seven sons. And Samuel looks at him and says, the Lord show me. It's none of these men. And the Holy Spirit whispered to the prophet Samuel, he said, that's right, because man looks at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He finds out there's one more brother who Jesse didn't even consider was worthy to, be, to meet with Samuel. Well, his little, the littlest of them all is out tending the sheep. Bring him here right now. David comes into Samuel's presence. The Lord says, that's the one. That's the one who will lead Israel. That's the one who will be the champion of Israel. That's the one whose lineage I will send my son, the savior of the world through. And Je Samuel took oil poured it over David's head and anointed him with oil and with the Holy Spirit and declared him king over Israel. We have the privilege of knowing that. No one in chapter 17 knew it but David. And so David walks in having an invisible spiritual armor with his identity of who his father has told him to be, his true self, that what's been placed on him, not what other people placed on him, not what his own temptation could have been to place on him. 
He went in his confidence of who God is, of who God had been to him in the past, who had been with him out while shepherding sheep, and who God had been with him with Samuel. And that same God met him that day to kill Goliath and change the course of human history forever. Here's just what I want to say to you guys. God can't bless who you pretend to be. He can only bless the real you. He can't bless the person you're trying to be because of what somebody else has put on you. And he can't bless our rebellion when we run the other way. But just the real you, all the good, all the bad, just as you are, is exactly who God wants to meet with, who God wants to put his hand upon, and who God wants to transform to become the person he has dreamed in his heart you should be. Say no to the armor somebody else is trying to put on you. Say no to your tendency to run and say yes to what Jesus wants to place upon you. Amen? Here's our final scripture for today. This is Ephesians 6, 10 through 11. And it says this. Therefore, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes.